0: I right love talk radio. That's why goes everybody joined tonight. Welcome to Blog Talk Radio with my co host David Flowers and my special guest, Miss Miranda Young from the Ghost Biker Explorations. I was about to say paranormal, mess it all up. And and it was funny because David had said, It's not that <laughs> and here I am tongue tied and messing it up again. And David I
1: had to pick a, a <laughs> difficult name.
0: Oh, it's it's fine. It's me. It's not you. And then of course I cut David off when he was trying to say hello, everybody. So I'm sorry. You can just. Oh no, you, well, yeah, really not. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm really bad with stuff like that. I need to. Hi. We have Miss Miranda Yang on today. Everybody's doing good. Hey Ronnie. Here. Hey Shayla. Tell us a little bit about yourself, because I've never met you, and I'm glad that Ronnie recommended to to reach out to you. And it was very easy, and I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Well, and and thank you, Ronnie. I appreciate you getting this set up, Um, you know, and and thank you all so much for having me on the show tonight. Uh, My name is Miranda. I'm better known as the Ghost Biker. (laughs) And I travel around the country on my motorcycle to different haunted and historic locations. And I highlight them on my web series, Ghost Exploration. Explorations. I'm also a co-owner of the company History Highways and Haunts. And we run the uh, historic Scott County Jail in Huntsville, Tennessee, and historic rugby after dark investigations and tours in rugby, Tennessee.
0: That is really cool. Can you explain a little bit about your um, location? Because I'm, I'm not familiar with anything in Tennessee, to be honest with you. I drove through there.
1: Well, we're located in the best part of Tennessee, East Tennessee. And, uh, you know, it's it's right here in the heart of the Appalachian Mountains. And so uh, I'm originally from this area, from the uh, Oneida, Huntsville, Tennessee area, and uh, just moved back up here um uh, technically moved back this year, but uh, I've been commuting back and forth for the last two years. We, um, we opened the jail there in September of 2021. It was, uh, it was in operation from 1904 until 2008. In 2008, wow. basically, they, they closed the doors and it sat vacant until 2017 when they got a tourism grant. Now they got the tourism grant to go in, refreshing it up, and uh, put heating and cooling units in there. But they still really didn't know what they wanted to do with it. So um, it's that vacant until 2021 when my business partner and I formed uh, History Highways and Haunts, the town, and asked if we could open it as a true crime museum during the day and a paranormal research center at night. And so at this point, uh, they, they loved the idea. So we uh, put the word out to the town that they uh, donated and put on loan a lot of different items, um, different artifacts, newspapers and such. And we went right to work opening it up. And at this point in time, we've had about 125 teams that have come in and investigated the location. And then uh, in May of this past year, we expanded. We reached out to the uh, Village of Historic Rugby, which is about 20 miles from here uh, in Huntsville. And, uh, you know, they're really, they're essentially set up for this. Um, this location, it's, it's been um, historically since, since the 70s. And so um, it, it's a village. It's an old English utopian village that was uh, settled in 1880 by uh, Thomas Hughes. He was an author who wrote Tom Brown's School Days. And then uh, rugby was in uh Rugby was really a flourishing community for really about 10 years, and then a lot of the um, uh, original settlers, they Mm. ended up moving away for various reasons. Um, The hotel caught on fire there. They had a typhoid fever outbreak. A lot of different things that caused the community to essentially disband. And and so then in the 70s, they ended up incorporating and working on restoring the village. And so they didn't have any after dark type uh, programs. And so it was just a natural fit. And um, so we've been, been doing those two locations since.
0: That is really cool. That's awesome. Hey, Daryl, I've got people coming along. Hi, Bob, how are you? How big is your town? Uh,
1: it's, it's very, very rural here. Um, we are in the middle of um, uh, a very rural area. The uh, uh, town of Huntsville is right around, I believe, I, I looked at hey, the census cabin. yesterday for a survey I was filling out, and it's, it's just a little over 1,200 people here in the area. And so the jail has such a unique look. It is basically a, a little sandstone castle here in the middle of the mountain. And so it's, it's three stories, a lot of rich history, um, dating back a lot of the earliest Inmates there were moonshiners and ridge runners, and so we have a lot of stories about that. We also have a lot of mob mountain justice in the they area, uh, different inmates who were taken out of the jail and lynched or executed on various parts on the property because basically they didn't get their day in court. Um, they they got arrested, uh, Mob from the community, would mask up, go in, overtake the jailer, and the deputies. And uh, enact their own justice on uh, on those inmates so we've had seven of those that we uh, actually have the newspaper articles death certificates and records of we do believe there were more but that's what we've got the records of and then um, we've also had a sheriff who was killed at the front door his energy is is very prevalent there in the jail he was killed ambush style and um, basically Basically, we get a lot of residual and intelligent activity on all three floors from that. And then, really, it's just such a an interesting community structure. Basically, a lot, you know, it's such a small town that most people have had somebody in their family that has either served there as sheriff or jail jailer or served there as an inmate. And in some cases, we've got some stories about uh, both. And so, um, a lot of interesting history, and it's quickly becoming one of the uh, top haunted locations in the state.
0: Oh, that's really awesome. Wow, And how long have you been with doing that as far as in in your town? I'm just trying to get some general ideas because sure. our town is very small here, and they're really picky about stuff, yeah. you know.
1: We have been, um, we opened the jail in September of 2021, so we've been doing it a little over two years now. Um, I've been doing, the, I've been into the paranormal for um, just under 15 years, and so I actually started out, um, I moved away from the area for work, and I uh, got a job in uh, in corporate, had a uh, pretty successful marketing and design uh, career in corporate for about 21 years, and mm-hmm. Through that, um, and through my background in photography and stuff, I was uh, asked to join a team, essentially as a photo analyst, videographer, that sort of thing, and so um, I ended up learning a whole lot about paranormal from the guys that were on my team. They had been doing the paranormal uh, for a long time before I joined the team, and so I was with the team. For about eight years, we did a lot of commercial and a lot of residential locations down in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. Um, That area is is interesting because you have a lot of Civil War activity, Civil War and Native American activity down there. Mm -hmm. Um, But we went all over. We we traveled everywhere. And then um, I really found that I was doing a whole lot on my own, Uh, going out on my motorcycle and uh, doing a lot of urban exploration. A lot of different locations that, that maybe people didn't really <clears throat> excuse me, know the history of, um, that it was more local to those specific areas that I was traveling to. And so, um, just on a whim, um, I decided to, I was having a conversation with a friend, and um, we were talking about riding my motorcycle to these places, and thought, you know what, why don't I brand it? And... Come up with my own thing, and so uh, excuse me. Seven years ago, um, Ghost Biker was born, and so I've been doing that since. We just had um, excuse me season six of uh, Ghost Biker come out, and uh, working on season seven
0: now. And where and where do they find that at for people that are new, like have never heard of, and are <laughs> new to the paranormal field? Is that YouTube or is that
1: yeah, so, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know why I'm losing my voice. Um, yeah, so so people can find information about that on the Ghostbiker Exploration Facebook page and YouTube channel. They can go back and watch all uh, six seasons. And then I also host a weekly live stream <clears throat> where I have different authors and, and artists and investigators, location owners on. And that, that's weekly, and that's broadcast live on the
0: Ghost Factory YouTube channel and Facebook page as well. That's really cool. So doing what you do and doing things like on your own, riding your bike and things like that, have you ever been in any uncomfortable situations that didn't, you know, that made, maybe made you feel uneasy because you are doing something <laughs> by yourself?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that does happen from time to time. Um, It it is a big difference being a solo investigator versus being with a team. And so um, so I'm either by myself completely or with a videographer, one or the other. And um, there have been several times, you know, we never know what you're going to go into in some (laughs) locations.
0: Right. Especially
1: a lot of them that I investigate are locations that, have maybe never been in that state before, and so um, with that, you don't always have the structure that you do have with some of the uh, more more structured type locations. Um, I have had a couple that have I've gotten it, it's really been dealing more with the living than dealing with the from the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to those uncomfortable situations. I don't really get mm-hmm. you know scared or, or nervous very easily because. In my mind, it's like, you know, I do a lot of research before I go to these places. Of course, that doesn't mean you, you don't always know what you're going to encounter. Right. But, um, you know, as far as, as whether it's a heavier activity or if it's, uh, you know, unexpected, that sort of thing, um, I do try to find, you know, a lot of the history. It's more so uh, going in and, and having those unexpected, like uh, a drug deal going down in the parking lot or somebody showing up that's not supposed to be there. I've had those sort of things happen more. The other, I'm kind of expecting it, and that's why I'm there. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean I don't get startled and a little nervous sometimes in the locations when unexpected things happen. But, yeah, most of the time it's been dealing with the living.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I have a shirt that says I don't trust the living. Exactly. Exactly. Because there's been a few times investigating where people just popped up out of nowhere and they just mess up everything. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, shut up. So, exactly. Yeah. yeah I exactly. got you. And, and
1: it's just different when you are investigating solo versus with other people because if you are going to a place that maybe has more intense or heavier type activity, you know, you don't have those other people you, you don't have that equal energy transfer, if, right. if you know what I mean. Where um, you go in with three or four of your your trusted friends, and if it, things get a little bit intense, there's other people to kind of take that energy off of that, what you might be receiving. When you're solo, you don't have that. Plus, um, you know, sometimes you have to be very creative when you go in because you can feed off each other. When you when you have more people on a team, when you're solo. You kind of have to plan out a little bit better, or at least be able to roll with the punches, because you know you just never know what you're going to experience. And, and sometimes going in, you know, if you investigate a lot, asking the same old same old questions can get a little get, get a little boring and a little draining. So um, there's there's advantages and and some disadvantages to mm-hmm. doing the solo investigation.
0: Very true. I've done solo I've done things solo by myself when I'm with the houses. I'm sure David you have too. Done things solo. Yeah. Sometimes it does make it a little bit easier and less distracting and you're not, like you said, transferring that energy like that. So Yeah. 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 How how far,
1: far, oh, sorry, go on. How far do you normally travel on your bike? I'll go anywhere and everywhere that there's a uh, interesting location um I have traveled all over uh a lot of the time I do a lot here in the on the east coast, but um it is not uncommon. I have ventured on out west I uh, hope to do a little more out west uh, here. Uh-oh. here. Uh-oh. So, I- yeah. Uh-oh. And releases um, every Tuesday night on the month of October. And so, um, Tuesday night uh, we'll the episode, it's usually a previous episode. And then on Thursday we talk about the episode. And so, this um, season we did um, two to three hour live on Tuesday night. So I would have travel somewhere every every Tuesday night, which uh, kind of made it a little, Um, you know, I didn't have all the evidence that I had to go through, but we're going to re-release these episodes here that we did live as pre-produced episodes. But everyone seemed to really enjoy it because it was a very interactive season. And by the time we were at our final episode, we had over 300 people on the live, which made for a really interesting live to do this and um, to essentially be investigating with a lot of
0: different folks. Yes, the cabin on 360 would love to have you. And then, of course, I would love there. cabin says. I think that's Dennis. I'm not sure. Might be the asshole. He might be disguising himself. I have to see. <laughs> anyway, um, the Manor House isn't far. From, the Manor House isn't far from the cabin on 360. So, see, it's a win-win for you.
1: It is, and and that's how I like to do it. You know, uh, I've had I've had Dennis on the show where we talked about the cabin and. Uh, I would absolutely love to uh, get Thanks up Brian. there and and see some stuff. I was actually I did my, my first episode there in Virginia there in season six with uh with Mr. Darrell oh, there is. at the village.
0: It is Dennis Slog. Oh should've known. Should have known. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Dennis is always trying to disguise himself. It never works. <laughs> Because people tell on them. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just saw Dennis go no, the no, like, oh.
1: <laughs> Yeah, i have got to Yeah, uh, I've got to get up there and, and see that location. I've heard great stories about it. And I think it will be an excellent episode to uh, highlight for season seven of Ghostbiker. Yeah. And i, I got to meet Dennis yeah, in person. I, I, I've known him for years. No. No, no. no.
0: <laughs> you yeah, don't. such a bad influence on <laughs> Well, that's the best kind. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. <laughs> he's gonna get us. He's gonna get me from here so, you know. <laughs> yeah, you did, uh, yeah, you did a uh, um you it one night
1: to the Manor house the next night. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's in such a that whole area is such a beautiful area in Virginia yeah. as well. Yeah. So lots of great motorcycle rides.
0: Oh, definitely. See them all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yep, mountains, too. So what's one of your favorite places that you've been to?
1: Oh, wow. There have been so many. You know, I'd have to say probably one of my most favorite was the Grand Old Lady in Balsam, North Carolina. Uh, Unfortunately, it's no longer open. I hope that they Uh they do get it open. But um, it was such a psychological haunting This place um, is located there in western North Carolina, right deep in the Balsam Mountains. And um, this hotel, it was built in uh, 1908, and it was a stop on the railroad system. And so a lot of the time the people who would come and stay at this hotel would uh, be folks that would kind of use it as a getaway, as a mountain Mm -hmm. retreat to uh, um, sort of refresh themselves and um, as a healing experience. And so this location, they would, they closed because they, they really kept it pretty rustic in the rooms that they had. Um, the rooms didn't have TVs. Each of the rooms were different. And, um, because it was such an old hotel and it, and it also really kind of had this dominating, uh, presence when you would see it on top of the mountain and pull up to it. Um, but they would close during the winter time. And so, um, I think typically they were closed from, like the end of November through March. Um, The year I investigated them, it was the year of the pandemic, so they stayed closed just a little bit longer. I don't think they opened till probably mid-April and really essentially became a casualty of the pandemic. Nothing ever really kind of um, opened up like it did. People weren't traveling for a while. And and to maintain a hotel when you're having to be closed for a couple years is just too challenging, especially an old hotel like that. So um, this location, I loved the activity in it because I investigated it uh, with myself, and I had a videographer with me on that night. And it was truly like, it reminded me of one of my favorite movies, The Shining, because you're in there, you're by yourself in the mountains, and um, it's wintertime activity. It's like they wanted to talk to you because they had been closed down for so long. So um you know, at, at this point, I think it was about the weekend before they were supposed to open back up. Got a lot of uh, disembodied voices, uh, even got, uh, had some great interaction with a uh, with child that's supposed to be there. Um, and I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I do believe that during the um, early, even in the 19-teens or the 1920s, they did use a section of the hotel as a tuberculosis hospital oh, for wow. a short period of time. Um, also, there was a, um, a sheriff, a deputy that was killed in the line of duty and uh, taken up to the hotel. Uh, he was shot down at the depot, taken up to the hotel to uh, be treated, and um ended up passing away there. So I got some really interesting activity from some of the local resident spirits. And then um, I did end up sleeping there two nights. The first night of that weekend was just myself. The second night was myself with uh, Soul Sisters Paranormal. And uh, we were sleeping in a room that had a suite. Um, so basically in this particular room, they had taken two rooms, combined them. So I was in one room by myself and uh, Soul Sisters, uh, the two twins, they were in the back room. And so we uh, we had just been talking about how we were going to be leaving the next day. Thanks, and uh heading down the road, you know, and, and um, um, kind of sad to leave because it had been such a great weekend. And as soon as we laid down, now, when I sleep at these locations, I always like to keep my recorders on and keep cameras on. So I had a night vision body camera sitting on the table there. And uh, probably maybe 20 minutes after we have said our good night and laid down there, we get this very male voice that says, please don't go. And um, I hear it at the end of my bed. I yell to the twins in the back room. I'm like, hey, did y'all hear that? What did you hear? And they're like, yep, sounded like a man. And so when we went back and and, uh, reviewed all of our footage, we were able to capture that on not just my body camera in the room, but also on the camera that they had back in their room. We were really able to triangulate where it was coming from. So, because of that type of activity and because it was kind of a more lighthearted, these spirit, most of the spirits were there because they were essentially vacationing there. It was somewhere that they liked. Um, it was just some great activity. And so I'd have to say that, that was that's probably one of my most favorite places to have investigated.
0: That's really awesome. That recording would be good on EVP review night. We do an EVP oh, We do an EVP review guide. Um, we got one coming up too, Dave, don't we? Don't we have an EVP so that, review?: I so thought that was a picture're uh, uh, um, we're doing we're, we are doing what's in the red circle. We are going to be doing what's in the red circle, but we're going to be we need to I, I, we don't have any EVP review scheduled then, do we? like the EVP review show, just – I'll have to look. Because we, we love it. We love hearing different EVPs um, from people, um, from different people, and they just send them in to David. Yeah. David puts the clips up, or we have – um Anderson says February 27th. That, that's what's in and, the red you know, circle
1: Uh, Ronnie mentions on here uh, he says it's crazy how places during the pandemic that that dormant got more active Mm -hmm. and that's true because it's interesting on that same investigation I got the on my Ovilus 5 I got the word quarantine right after we came in there which was interesting I mean that could have had to do with the tuberculosis clinic but that could have also had to do with the fact that we had literally just gone on quarantine in a lot of the areas of the country so um, we never really quite shut down in Tennessee. And, of course, with investigating, um, you know, you, you didn't have a lot of people in, in some of the groups. So um, we continued to investigate. But it was interesting to see how the locations kind of changed with that. And I think a lot of that could have come from our collective attitudes as well and what we were bringing into the location. But I also think some of the spirits in those locations we're kind of picking up wind at some of the
0: interesting things that were going on. Yeah, and I think that spirits, you know, get to know people and they like them, and then all of a sudden you're not there, and they get—I think they get lonely, just like people, like people sure. here do. I believe that. What's up, Gene? Um, David, we we do have an EVP review on April the thirtieth. Okay. Yeah, I knew we had scheduled one because, you know, so many people liked it, and we were like, let's do another one. So, yeah, EVP reviews on April 30th. Mark your calendar and be sure to send in all your stuff to us. And if you have pictures, (laughs) we're doing what's in the red circle here soon. (laughs) And so what's what's in the red circle is we're taking pictures from basically different places, like what's it called? Somebody help me because my brain is drawing a blank. Yes, we love we love doing the Gettysburg photos and circling certain things in red. You know that people post mm-hmm. that swear up and down it's paranormal, but we know that some of those are not. Um, so send your pictures in if you dare, but just be ready to have them critiqued, critique, whatever however you say it. Critiqued. Can't speak tonight. My brain is. Yeah. Hey, um, got a question for you. Um, you said. When you go to these locations, a lot of times you'll have a videographer with you. Mm -hmm. Now, is your videographer, is he or she in the paranormal, or are they just your camera person? It depends.
1: Um, So for the first three seasons of Ghost Biker, my videographer was not in the paranormal, just a good friend. Um, And I really liked it that way with him not being in the paranormal because, uh, one, spirits interacted different with him. Um, and we kept his reactions and such in to the uh into the videos because he wasn't you know he wasn't he did believe in the paranormal but he was not a paranormal at that scared. and then when the pandemic hit he had some some family issues and stuff uh come up that he had to uh take care of and so uh my business partner stepped in and whenever I needed her to uh uh I needed a videographer on hand. She did help. Now, she has been in the paranormal. Um, So sometimes she would communicate, sometimes not. Most of the time it was just being, especially in this last season when we did it all live, um, she took on a a different role because she was behind the camera there and able to read the comments and stuff that people, because we really made it a very interactive investigation. Um, So it just depends. This season um, Josh is going to be a bigger part of the show uh, and be traveling with me and filming so he's going to be stepping back in because his his uh, family obligations have, have changed so very excited about that because um, it just it just brought a different take and a different level to uh, the show of having someone who was not in the paranormal and then of course he got bit by bug
0: when, once he started doing it in the activity yeah. That's really cool. Did he kind of freak out the first first experience he had? Yeah, yeah.
1: It was, uh, you know, when you hear those voices, um, see the rods move, uh, start to experience certain things. Um, it's kind of interesting because he was originally supposed to just kind of come in, help me with B-roll shots, and it was all going to be 100% solo and not have uh, a videographer there. So he was going to help with some of that to get the ball rolling. And once we heard uh, our first disembodied voice there, um, he was, I remember he kind of gasped or he made some kind of sound, you know, and he's like, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, that's authentic. That's perfect. And with with my show, um, the number one demographic is, is not paranormal investigators. The number one demographic are bikers. And uh, my second demographic are historians or history buffs. And then paranormal enthusiasts as a third. So it really created an identifiable character to some of these folks who really were watching it for the history and the travel and not so much for the paranormal. So it really made it more relatable um, because I had been doing this for so long at that point in time, rather than just having someone that completely into the paranormal and having a hundred percent paranormal show out there, it, it just, it was such an organic and authentic reaction. And so, um, after we experienced that and he was like, you know, I'd kind of like to go on some more of these travels with you and, and experience more of this stuff, started doing it. And he really became a fixture of the show. And, um, you know, I didn't want to remove his reactions and stuff. So um so yeah, it was um, it was it was kind of a happy accident, if you will,
0: when it, yeah. it came to that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's always try and we always try to find different topics. I know I've had well before David came on as my co host, I've had like singers on my show, we've talked about autism. Mm-hmm. We've talked about a variety of different things and somehow it slipped into more paranormal.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Don't know how, but somehow it managed to slip more into paranormal because the show originally was supposed to be spiritual talk. It was supposed to be metaphysical, and now it slipped into paranormal, and I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm always trying to find different guests, and legitimate guests, too, you know, ones that are going to be a good fit for the show because there's a couple that had not been a good fit, and you know you feel that energy, and you're like, there <laughs> you know you, you can't help it. So yeah, yeah. we'll do And some, there's
1: so, such a variety when it yeah. comes to talking about the paranormal. You yeah. know, it. I never would have thought, um, <clears throat> with my background of where I was, that I would be where I am today, where uh, my this hobby that I was doing of uh, the paranormal, but actually being able to. Combine the travel aspect, the biker aspect, um, and the history with the paranormal, and now being a location owner—I mean, it's, it's my full-time job. Stepping away from corporate and uh, working with the preservation and restoration of these locations, um, and being able to do it through my show, doing it in a unique way that um, people haven't really thought as much about until over the last probably seven or eight years with this the boom in paranormal tourism.
0: Right. So,
1: um, you know, I never would have thought I would be in the position that I'm in today to be able to live my passion essentially and, and have it as my job.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. So Yeah it
1: really
0: what what got you into the paranormal? I mean from born from corporate, from where you were at marketing, and how how did that all like come about? With your what? I mean, what was your first investigation like?
1: Yeah, so um, so I, I got into the paranormal at a very young age, uh, but it was more so from the storytelling side of things. Um, my grandmother, she lived next door to me when I was when I was really young. She was she was already in her 80s and. Uh, so um, I spent a lot of time sitting on her porch listening to her share stories about growing up here in the Appalachian Mountains. And she she was one of those people that, you know, she lived by the almanac, basically, and she had so many. She was very superstitious. And, you know, when I'm telling people about it, you know, she she trained me on, you know, paints and boogers, is what we always called them here, which would have been, of course, the spirits and, and the cryptids. And so she would share a lot of those stories and I really fell in love with it from, from a very, very young age. And so at that point I would spend as much time as I could in the libraries reading a lot of the uh, old books about uh, some of the old Hanks and and some of the uh, old stories and then spending a lot of time talking to a lot of the old timers in the area about um, the way things used to be. Mm -hmm. And so, um, And then, of course, my dad, every opportunity we got, he would take me back roads riding, not on the motorcycle, but just in the car, and he would talk about essentially the ghosts of the past. And so that's really the side that I'm passionate about and that I take it from is, you know, if if we don't have somebody sharing these stories, and even if it's just sharing a story about how a place used to look and a building or a business that used to be there – if you don't have people sharing those stories, then the then that time dies with the, the old timers as they pass on. And so um, I, I, of course, watched a lot of the uh, paranormal entertainment shows on TV, um, Ghost Adventures, Ghost Hunters. Uh, saw some of those, you know, uh, but never really did an investigation other than just going with friends to cemeteries here in, in the east, you know, the cemeteries they don't really technically close because you've got all these mountain cemeteries and so we spend a lot of time in cemeteries asking questions and and doing our own ghost hunting but I never formally did anything until uh, I was at a a job in in, uh, downtown Chattanooga I just started and um, HR the guy from HR just happened to be uh, have a paranormal team he saw that my background was in photography and marketing and design and he actually um, reached out to me over the instant messenger there at work and was like, got a weird question for you. And he said, um, I see that your background is in photography and he said, I was wondering if you would uh, send you some pictures. And so I'm sitting here thinking, why is this man that I don't know asking me if he can send me some strange pictures, you know? (laughs) And so not knowing what's going to come from this. And so so then, of course, he starts sending me pictures from this kitchen. And, um, you know, they've got some strange anomalies in it. And he's like, let me explain. He said, uh, I'm a member of a paranormal team. And this was a residential location that we'd investigated. And he said, we're looking for somebody that has some expertise in photography to go in and essentially debunk or explain some of the things that we've captured. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to look at some of these. And so, of course, with every picture he sent me, I would send back about 20 questions as to, you know, what kind of camera he was using, why he decided to – photograph this certain uh, picture. And so through this process, I actually ended up developing an 11-point system that I run photos through whenever uh, somebody sends me a photo or whenever I do my own photos. There's, there's a reason why you won't see me post a lot of photo evidence that I capture because I'm able to explain a lot of it. And essentially what I do when I go to a location is I'll go in, I try to photograph the location beforehand because, obviously, and tons of photographs. Now, obviously, you don't know if you're going to catch anything before you're investigating. A lot of the time, we catch stuff before we investigate. Mm-hmm. But I do that so that I kind of have a map as to how things look because once you go in after dark or once you go in in the height of investigation, things look very different. And you're in a totally different state of mind. You may not remember this coat rack that's hanging in the corner, or if something's moved, you may not remember the placement. So I would go in and do that, and then essentially if I caught a suspicious picture, I go in and I try to destroy it, And um, because different things react different ways whenever you destroy or
0: add elements
1: to the picture. So long story short, I was doing this with those photos, and um, so they ended up inviting me to go on my first investigation Uh, after looking at, you know, 20, 30 photos from several investigations there. Um, And so my first investigation was at this marina there in downtown Chattanooga. It's a a Mexican restaurant and marina. And it was uh, myself and two guys from the team. And so went in, um, they filled me in on the story of it, and uh, ended up having a drink with one of the local ladies that uh, is said to haunt the bar there. Heard my first disembodied voice and was touched for the first time. And of course, I'll never forget. It it was really cool too how they did it. They um, they gave me a recorder to carry and let me after we were done review my own evidence, just so that I could really be totally immersed and invested, you know, in this investigation. And um, to go back and listen and capture these EVPs and disembodied voices when we knew that. You know, there was nobody else there. It was just the three of us. It was incredible. And from that point, I, you know, I was bit by the bug. And um, <laughs> so they had me look at some more more evidence. Invited me on a couple more investigations, and and then invited me to join the team. And it was just a really great group to to learn from. You know, they've been doing this much longer than myself. At least on a with the tools and and that sort of thing, like I said, I've been going to cemeteries for a long time, but um yeah it was uh it it was just a really great experience, and uh I can't think of a better way to have been brought into uh my paranormal journeys than with uh you know those experiences that we had as a collective investigating as a group that's really cool,
0: mhm. When you so what, what,
1: what are some of the things that you do to a picture that debunk it? Well, um, a lot of times people will send me photos and stuff, and, um, you know, when they do, they, they've got to be prepared for a bunch of questions to come back to them because, um, you know, I, I want to know, obviously, I want to know the camera. Um, you know, I, I hate absolutely I hate it when people We'll take a picture across the field and zoom in to 3,200%. And then it's like – That's Gettysburg. Oh,
0: sorry.
1: No, what was that?
0: I said that's Gettysburg pictures.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and then you don't know what you're looking at. You're looking at the trunk of a tree, you know, zoomed in and and seeing the the moth on the tree and trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I'll go in. One of the first things that that I do is I start messing with the exposure. Now, obviously, I keep the original photo with its integrity, and then I have a copy of it um, that I will go in and mess with the exposure because shadows of people react a certain way when light or shadow is taken away from it. Um, And then if there's an anomaly or something that is potentially supernatural, um, I'll never claim anything to be haunted or to be activity, but I always will claim it as not being able to fuck it. Um, so um, I add light. Sometimes I will add color, that sort of thing, or take color away. Um, start messing with the temperature on things. Again, and, and then I always ask when somebody sends something. I, I absolutely hate it if they don't have at least two other reference pictures. To uh, to look at, uh, I had someone send me a ring uh, image not too long ago. Of course, it was dark. They, they had a ring video and a ring image, and um, it was nighttime. And I'm like, I, it's an interesting picture, but until you can send me what this looks like during the day, because I need to know how far the road is, and I just like to know the lay of the land. Um, you know, that's some to me. That's something that's important. But even if it's just a picture, say, of a dark room, you know, it's always important to take multiple pictures. So um, I always like to look at, uh, you know, a previous pictures, at least two or three other images that is taken in session whenever, whenever an image is taken. Obviously, that's not always something people can do because sometimes it happens just in you know, taking a picture of your friends, you're not actually paranormal investigating. But, um, you know, my professor if I can destroy this image, because by the time I'm done with it, it doesn't look like, you know, a uh, it doesn't look like the original image. But, again, you can tell a lot by uh, adding shadow, taking shadow away, um, light, color, um, essentially destroying that image. You can tell a lot about how, natural things react inside of, inside of a photo.
0: Cool. Yeah. Sounds very interesting.
1: It's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things that, um, like I said, just from looking at them, I mean, there's, there's your obvious things, you know, uh, lens flare, mm-hmm. dust, um, water droplets, hair, there's a lot of things that show up. And then of course, whether somebody's using a digital camera versus using a, uh, you know, a a regular focal camera. I mean, digital cameras have a lot of, obviously, you can take a lot more pictures, but they have a lot more artifacts in in the uh, cameras. You know, a big thing that I get are lens flares, especially if somebody's using an iPhone because the iPhone has the double um, the gl- double glass there on the lens, so you get the green orb that uh, shows up on every lens flare. And then if somebody's taking a picture of a fire, I had someone send one of those not too long ago, and um, of the fire. And what the uh, Apple cameras will do is, when you take that, if it's shining directly at the camera, it totally reflects itself on that double double lens. And so. Um, if you zoom in on the green, and while it may look like, you know, Satan's face or something like that, once you go in and zoom in, you can actually see the fire reflecting in that. And that's just something that happens with with these uh, uh, cameras, that home uh, cameras, and more so with the Apple ones than the, the Android ones, just because of the way their lens is structured on it.
0: Can you say that a little louder for the ones in the back? <laughs> And I'm not saying
1: that's always the case. I get a lot of
0: those. um well, Ronnie saying is always? Ronnie says always, that he gets all the you know, orb pictures. Ronnie gets all the orb pictures, and Shayla says it drives her nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we yeah. know it's Dennis' fault for everything, Copperhead. We we know he he decided that he wanted to go take a professional business call and get off of our show. Big mistake. Big mistake. <laughs> well,
1: and, you know, I do think, I mean, I'm, you know, orbs, there, there can be cases where orbs are real um, potential activity, but it is rare and you have to look at, you have to look at a lot of other things that are going on in the situation, um, you know, especially if it's in a video. Um, and an example of that, that, that I had was, so I had security cameras up at my old house that I lived at uh, on the outside and in two of the rooms. And so one day I did come home from uh, a work, and my motorcycle jacket, it had been laying on the chair. And so when I came home, it was laying on the floor, and my dog had used the bathroom on it. And I'm talking this motorcycle jacket was one that had the armor inside of it. And um, it was a heavy jacket. It was about 15 pounds. And my my dog was a 12-pound dog. And so, um, of course, I'm upset that she's used the bathroom on this jacket because it's like, why in the world can she do that? She's never done anything like that before. So I did pull that footage because it was in my living room facing my door there, and I uh, pulled the footage and saw that 10 minutes before she came, before I came home, she started pacing through the living room. And as she's pacing back and forth, she stops. She literally looks over at the jacket on the chair and Something comes off the, off the jacket, and it comes from nothing, and it becomes this, this orb that just floats off the screen. And then she goes directly over to the jacket, grabs it, pulls it off the chair, and uses the bathroom on it. And so that kind of changed my perspective a little bit because it's like, well, clearly she saw something that caused her. It wasn't that she was upset with me. Based on this dog's behavior, I felt like it was more of a protection mode, That like this is this is mine, this is my mom's. Mm-hmm. And so she, she pulls it off, she uses a on it, and so I decided to watch the footage a little bit further. And hey, so you see me go in, I grab the jacket, I clean the jacket off, and then I brought food home because um, I'd been to the gym before. And so I sit down and I eat, and within a 30-minute period after I'm done eating, I get up to go throw my food uh, bag outside in the garbage can. Once I get up, you see the dog stop again and you see something peered across the room and all of a sudden, at the end of the frame, it all of a sudden raises up and turns into almost like a side profile of a face and follows me out of the room. Um, I'm already out, but it's walking and it just looks like a forehead, nose, and chin walking on out. And, So, I mean, could that be uh, some kind of bug? I mean, anything is possible. But I deem that one unexplained, not because it's my own, but because I really take a critical look at my pieces that I get. But Mm -hmm. looking at the dog's behavior and everything that happened in the process, it's just odd, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I, I always like to know, to me, there's always a story behind everything that happens and if you're going to send me something to look at, whether it be photo or video, I have to know the story because I always wonder why are people taking random pictures of something? There's got to be a reason that they're doing that or what what is the story behind this behavior that's happened? I was just fortunate enough to be able to go back and see that with my dog. Um, But those are questions I would ask anybody that sent that is like is a typical behavior that your dog experiences, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, just try to get more of the story.
0: Yeah, and that's really cool with animals because they pick up energy better than we do anyway. Absolutely. Watch your pets. Well, I always tell people, watch your animals when they start talking about, you know, i got a spirit in my house, but do you got a dog or cat? Well, yeah, watch them. Mm-hmm.
1: We have a cat at the yeah. jail um, that lives there. Her name is Sally. And she actually lives inside the jail. And um, we actually caught on our security camera footage when I came in. We always close the gift shop off because we don't want her to get on the merchandise. And it's inside of one of the former cells, So there's a big, thick, heavy door there. Um, And so it's it's an old cell door, the the solid metal kind with the uh, bean hole in it there where they could see them. Um, But it's interesting because I came in the next morning After we had been closed and we had fed her the day before and came in, she was actually in the gift shop. So we pulled the security camera footage to see if we could determine maybe what had, um, you know, if one of us had left the door open or something. And uh, on the footage at 5.15 that morning, we actually see the door open and it opens twice, just barely a little bit, and then it opens way up and something actually shoves the cat in backwards.
0: Oh,
1: Yeah. Okay. And so we don't believe that we don't believe it are trying to harm her or anything like that. Cause, and and plus, if she had done, I mean, there's no way this cat with these little short legs could have pulled this, this heavy door open. Um, and then there's no seam for her to get her foot under to, to be able to do that because it's a tight door where it was itself. Um, Nothing's ever heard her before, but she has experienced a lot of different things there. And so when she starts looking or when she starts purring like something's playing with her, we pay attention because she she is a good test. And people will sometimes even investigate with her whenever they come to the jail.
0: because yeah.
1: so she does tend to trigger some activity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I keep an eye on my neighbor's cat because her house is definitely haunted and I hear footsteps upstairs, but... Normally, before the footsteps come, the cat starts to act a little weird, like looking around. It's already looking around the corner saying, okay, this is what's going to happen. And then she actually goes upstairs like, oh, I want to go see, you know. So it's, I just, I keep an eye on her because she knows the house better than I do. But it's just her behavior, her mannerisms. And I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to be doing some of these footsteps tonight. So, you know, it's it's a pretty active house. So it's Like I said, the animals give it away because they pick up energy before you do. Very true. Dogs, cats, horses too. I think they just act different, but there's a different Mm -hmm. energy there. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, What are your um, What are some of your upcoming plans for the future here in 2024?
1: So uh, hopefully 2024 is going to be a really good year for us here. Um, My plans are, because of the way I released Season 6 of Ghostbiker Exploration, um, you know, we released them as all live episodes. So um, the goal is I've been going through over the last couple months and analyzing the uh, videos, pulling out some of the unexplained captures that we had. We put out a call for folks to uh, watch the episodes and send timestamps and stuff. So um, they have been sending that. I'm going to actually re-release those as produced episodes, uh, like what I do uh, with the other stuff. So those will be coming out probably here in March. And um, so that's going to create more content than what people are used to. So we'll have those episodes. Also, there's going to be more motorcycle vlogs, uh, more traveling to places. Maybe not so much uh, more simplified investigations and actually more live investigations. We're going to be going live from the jail and from Historic Rugby Village at least once a month, doing more of these live investigations between myself and Soul Sisters Paranormal on the uh, jail page as well as on the rugby page. So we'll be uh, doing a lot more live. And then uh, gearing up for uh, season seven. Got some. I'm still trying to decide if it's going to be live or if it's going to be something a little bit um, kind of in between, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, what we've done. But uh, yeah, a lot of big things coming up here. And uh, uh, plus, we've got an expansion Thanks, announcement Bob. that we're hopefully going to be able to make really soon here with the jail as well.
0: Fast. We've got a lot of plans coming up there. Lot of are you able to, by chance, type in in the comments, in our comments at all? Can you put some I of your pages there? Because we've got people that, you know, are watching the show, and I'm sure that they would like to go over and see some of your episodes and stuff. And Daryl says he can't wait for your your episodes, I guess, your upcoming stuff to come out. So. Let me, Let me that. Okay. <laughs> Let's see if this shows up here. Um Yes, we appreciate um, the people that that come on our, our our people that come on every week, and then of course we have people that call into the switchboard too. So it's it's really cool to see everybody here. Historic rug, rugby after dark, and of yep, course also our page. the historic
1: Scott County Jail there. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Ghostbiker explorations on Facebook. And I'll put the link here for, uh, let's see, on YouTube. I'll put that. I'm trying to put the direct link so it makes it easy for anybody that uh, wants to um, yeah. wants to just click right on it. Awesome. Um, and then here is the link on YouTube. Uh,
0: Yeah, it's a great show. Can't wait to investigate Scott Cannon Jail sometime soon.
1: Yes, we would love to have you. And then, um, and then of course, I'll put the websites here.
0: That's awesome. And I think it's always nice with history too. You know, different places. Because um, I thought about some of some new show ideas too. Um, I kind of like what Ryan's doing, doing different history places, because you know there's so many places that we don't know about. You've never heard of. I've never heard of Scotts County Jail, just like I'm sure mm-hmm. you've never heard of the Scottish Factor in Urbana, Virginia, because we are a town of 500 and, what is it, 458 people. That's our exactly. town. Exactly. It's and and that's, what, that's what
1: I'm always telling people on, on my show, especially when it comes to the, the travel aspect of things, is mm-hmm. that basically I, I like to challenge people to take a map, close their eyes, touch anywhere on that map, and I guarantee anywhere you touch on there, you're going to find a location or a town right. city that has an interesting location and an okay. interesting story. Now, it may not be internationally known like Waverly Hills, or anything like that, but I guarantee you, and that's where we get most of our stories for Ghost Biker, is these locations. Yeah. For season six, every place that we highlighted was either an abandoned village, or a old homestead, or a historic museum. Mm-hmm. And they all fit within that category. The majority of places had either never been investigated before or had only been investigated by a handful of people. And so on a couple of these locations, we actually worked with the historic societies as well as uh, tourism commissions, which is a lot of of what I do with Ghostbiker to get the word out on these locations Mm to um, help because that's how they stay open is by having the people that come each day. And it's really just introducing it to a different audience that may not necessarily have heard of it because maybe they're either not into the history of it right. or, um, you know, or they're hearing about it from the travel aspect.
0: Right. Right. Who would have known the small town of Urbana as home of the Mitchell map and home of really the last standing Scottish factor store in the country. We have one fully intact, but a lot of people don't know that. We have a a quarter of a million dollar map hanging up in our town. It's the town's prized possession, you know, so it's beautiful. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So when you come out that way, you'll have to come out and stop in here too because it's very historical, very historical out here. It's a port town, and it's a really cool little port town, so...
1: I'll have to definitely get in touch with you mm-hmm. and when I plan to do this because yeah. I loved investigating there in uh, at the Clover Hill Village there with uh, Daryl and I definitely want to spend more time. I could do a whole season just on Virginia.